All right, we're going to start the year with a series on prayer for a, lot, uh, for a variety of reasons. One of the reasons we're going to start with prayer is that the leadership team went away several months ago on retreat, and we decided then that we would start the year with prayer, so we're going to do that. Another reason we're going to start it with prayer is because of the difference that prayer has made in my life over the past year, especially so over this last season in my life and the life of my family, and so it's right here on the forefront of my mind. And maybe the biggest reason, though, we're going to start with prayer is because I'm guessing that when it comes to prayer, our attitudes and our actions, so our attitudes about prayer and our actions when it comes to prayer, are probably, maybe, outside of what God has called for in His Word. Maybe, or maybe not, maybe just me, maybe you too. So, a couple of questions to start off our series with. The questions are, do you pray? And... Why or why not? So are you someone that prays? Yes, no, maybe, yeah, okay. Why, why not? There's lots of reasons why. We had this discussion over Christmas break, the discussion, um, it was our, our family get together, discussion actually got pretty loud as we were discussing this subject of prayer. One guy said, I pray because of my relationship with God. I love God. He told me to pray, and so I pray. And it doesn't matter what I hear or what I don't hear. I just love him. Straight relationship. Who prays just because you love God, you know he loves you, he said do it, so you do it. Just straight. All right, that's, there's some. That's good. Another guy said, and this was me, so I'll just, another guy said, well, here's the, the prime mover of my prayers, and that's need. When I feel like I get in over my head, when I perceive that there's something that I'm going through that I cannot control, then I pray. Because then I know I can't do it, and so I've got to appeal to the God who I believe in to help me. A little bit like Jonah, I would say, if there's one guy in Scripture that I resemble more than any, it's Jonah. You guys familiar with Jonah? God tells him to do something. He doesn't want to do it. He runs away. Then there's... A storm and stuff, and then there's a, a whale. A... Do you know in that story when Jonah prays? <laughs> Not until he gets in the fish. Here's the prayer in the fish. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. Who's honest enough to say, you don't pray? You remember the Lord only when you can't do it yourself. All right, so need a few honest people. Some of you pray, but you just pray out of habit. It's just what your family does. You pray at certain times. Maybe you pray like your family. You listen to your dad pray, and so you, repeats what, you repeat what he says. Maybe you didn't like how he prayed, so you changed it up a little bit, but that's just, it's just habit. Some of you don't pray. Who doesn't? There's lots of reasons why we don't. One of the reasons why we don't is that we feel like, why would God listen to someone like me anyway? Like, I am insignificant and nothing, and the problem with prayer is on this end. It's on our end of prayer. Some people don't pray because they think the problem's on that end. Anybody willing to say that that's you? That, yeah, I did pray. As a matter of fact, if you could just slide over and move your notes, let me give you a little dissertation on prayer. I can tell you what it, I can tell you what it doesn't do, because the, the problem with prayer is on that end. And so, you know what? I've become weary in prayer, and I've stopped. I know that's in here. Some, some don't pray because you're not sure how. I had a great conversation with a guy who wants 
he wants something to be different in his family this year. And he grew up praying. They would gather around and they would pray. But his dad had a book and he, he read from it. So he knew what to say. He didn't have to think. He just read. So now he wants to do the same thing. He wants to build that discipline into his kids. So they gather and pray and they all get around and he's like, oh God. <laughs> then he doesn't want to say. And he wants it to be different, but he doesn't really know how. So there's lots of reasons. Big mixed bag when it comes to prayer in this room. Now, here's, here's what I know. This is how I think we need to start. I believe this. That whatever God wants us to know about prayer, he's put in his word. There isn't any truth or knowledge or revelation about prayer that we're going to find outside of his word. So we've got to go there to figure prayer out. Agreed with that. Secondly, and this is going to be the hard part, the best thing we can do when it comes to prayer is to set aside what we think we know and replace it with what God is going to tell us about it. That's going to be tough because it's so built in already all the stuff we think we know about it from our experience, but a little bit of wisdom as we go in. You can take it or leave it. The best thing we can do is to set that aside for a moment, moments, and replace it with what he says because, with, because what God says about prayer is what he wants us to know about it. All right? So... Here's our story then. This is how I want to start. I want to start with an exciting story about prayer, about God, Moses, and prayer. It comes from Exodus 32. Now, just to be upfront, this is not a complete, all-encompassing teaching on prayer. There's, I don't know if there's a sermon that can be preached that would cover everything about prayer and all the different parts of it. So I'm not saying... This is the beat-all and the end-all. We're done. I'm just saying, this is something, one thing God did reveal about it. Let's take it in. And the reason I want to take it in is of everything I looked at, getting ready for this series on prayer, this one inspired me the most to pray. And so I hope it has the same effect on you. Exodus 32, here's the story. I'll lead in. Exodus 32 is going to be down there, and then I'll start here. All right? Exodus 32 is the story of God and his people, so it's the Israelites, and he has just broken them out of Egypt. So Pharaoh's here, they grow into a nation, they grew into a nation from Jacob's sons, so over time, 400 years, 12 sons became a million people. They're slaves, God sees their predicament, their problem, and breaks them out. So he, part, he parts the sea, they come through. He showed himself to be incredibly faithful along the way. So he breaks them out, does the sea thing, and then he goes before them in a cloud. He feeds them from the sky. He provides water from a rock. He is a miraculous provider, faithful and true up to this point. Takes them to the base of this mountain, and now he's going to give them his law. So this is where Moses, their leader, goes up and gets the law and then brings it back down. He's going to give them his law for a lot of reasons um, that I won't necessarily get into. One of them is he's going to make them unique in, in all of the world. Do you know what will make these people God's people? When they have God's law. No one else has a law given to them from God. It's going to be a theocracy. God is their king. And that will separate them out, and God wants them to be unique. So anyway... 
Moses goes up to get it, but he stays too long, according to the people down here. He just stays too long. Like, we don't, they say this at the bottom of the mountain, we don't know what's become of our leader. So they look to other leadership that stayed at the base of the mountain, a guy named Aaron, and they say to him, you need to make us new gods to go before us because we're not done yet. We've got to go on to where, where God was taking us, so make us new gods. And for whatever reason, he says, okay, give me your earrings. Let's melt them down and make a cow. Now, I'm not sure why he did that, but he did that. They say that the golden cow that they made out of these earrings, they actually called that cow by God's name, Yahweh. So they were calling him the right name, but it really wasn't God. And they start to dance around it and worship and have feasts and festivals, etc. Meanwhile, on top of the mountain, God, looking over the shoulder of Moses, sees it all going down, and he says this. Exodus 32 7 through 14. Go down there, Moses, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation out of you. So let's understand what's going on. He's sick of it. He being God, he's going to wipe them out, and he's going to start all, all over with Moses. Can God start all over with a single man and his family and, and turn it into a nation? Can he do that? He did it back here, so he can do it again. So it will work. That's a way this, this, this situation can go. But then Moses prays, and he says this, verse 11. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with your mighty hand? Don't short-circuit what you're doing here. Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. So Moses in prayer is suggesting that we go a different way. Let's not do this. Will you not do this? He calls him to remember his promises. Remember Abraham and Isaac and Israel. Who's Israel? That's Jacob. Remember, he had his name changed. Remember those three, your servants, whom you swore by your own self. This is your own word. You said, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, and all this land that I have promised, I will give you to your offspring. The land's right over there. Don't stop. Don't short-circuit the promise. And they shall inherit it forever. And then, and here it is, 14, and then... So there's two ways we can go. And then the Lord relented. He responded to the prayer of Moses, and he didn't do it. He didn't do what he said he was going to do. I find this to be a thrilling invitation to pray. That's why I titled the message this. I hope you find it as thrilling as I do. Why pray? 
Why pray? Because in this piece, in this story, God has allowed us to know that prayer causes him to act a certain way in human history. Why pray? Because prayer makes a difference. So let's pray, and then we'll break this apart. Oh, Lord, thank you for being, thank you for the opportunity to pray made possible by Jesus. We cannot come to you but by a mediator, and he's the one that allows us to come to you. So thank you for him and the opportunity. Thank you for being altogether good and yet altogether frightening. May we have a picture of you that is both you are an unmovable force, and yet you invite us to pray and participate in what you're doing in human history. It's a mystery. Help us to see it. Help us to believe what you say about it and to pray. And I ask it in the good and great name of Jesus and everybody said. All right, what we're going to look at in 32 is... What does Moses know? And once we know what Moses knows, how does he pray? That's what's coming out of this text. We can know those things so that we can know the same things that Moses knows. I want us to know the same things Moses knows about God. And he's going to tell us that we would be moved to pray in the same way. Now, let me tell you, first off, this sermon outline comes from Dr. David Platt. He is a uh, he's a Reformed theologian who actually preached this message or taught this text to a room full of Reformed theologians, which makes me love it even more. And if you're someone who has grown weary in prayer and you really wonder if it matters, maybe you're just kind of done, I encourage you to take in as much teaching on this text as you can, and you can go to Radical.net and click on this message, and I encourage you to listen to it. Because I would say that I was weary in prayer and having listened to this text divided for me and held out for me and explained, it moved me to pray. So take it in. Here's what we're going to do. What does Moses know? And then how does Moses pray? First thing he knows that we can know from, the, from his prayer is that Moses knows that the person of God is unchanging. When he starts his prayer in verse 11, so God is going to wipe him out. This is how he starts his prayer. He turns and he says, O Lord. Now you're going to see O Lord all over in your Bible. Lord being small caps Lord. O Lord. And it means this. He's calling God by the name that God told him to call him by. He's calling by God by the name that God introduced himself way back when they first met. And that name is I am who I am. Anytime you see that, anytime you read it, those small caps, Lord, in your Bible, you got to say this, that, that God is who he says he is. It's his name, and he is who he is. So who is he? Who did God introduce himself to be way back? When did Moses and God meet? 30 chapters earlier, there was a meeting point for them. Do you know when he met? It was at the burning bush. Who did God introduce himself to be way back then? There's a whole bunch of stuff that's packed in, I am who I am. Do you know what God gets to be when he says, I am who I am? 
whoever he wants to be. So the way he introduces himself back here, he introduces himself as loving, but also terrifying. Do you hold that view of God? He is altogether good and inclusive. Is God graceful and good and the includer of people in what he's doing? Is he also righteous, holy, set apart, a holy hater of sin? He's both. So there's this contradiction, but that's how he introduced, that's how Moses knows him, both of those things. When they meet, Moses is a sinful murderer, 80-year-old, forgotten backside of the desert. Why would the God of the universe even notice or even care to, to involve him in anything that he was going to do? Because he is who he is, and God is exceedingly good and graceful. The very fact that God shows up in a bush at all to talk to him says that he is good and gracious beyond anything we could imagine. Why would God do that? But listen to what he says. I love this. The first conversation he has with Moses is this. Moses, Moses. This is from the book. Moses, Moses. What's next? Don't you come any closer. See the contradiction? Moses, Moses, when you repeat a word like that in the Hebrew, it, it, not that I know Hebrew, all right? So I'm not going to pretend that I do. I just, I read this, all right? <laughs> it means this. You double it. It magnifies affection. You see it actually all through scripture. Uh, Simon, Simon, Peter, Peter, Martha, Martha, right? So the Lord speaks in that way. It's, a, it's affection. It's it's, it magnifies emotion. God has saw this. He knew Moses from eternity past. He knew this day was coming. He's like, Moses, Moses, I've been waiting. Get over here. So there's that part of God, but also, don't you come any closer because this is holy. Anything You get close to me, you're going to contaminate me, and I'm a holy hater of sin, and there can't... Do you, know the only re do you know the only way we can be in relationship with a God who is altogether good and graceful, but altogether a righteous, holy hater of sin? The only way we can be in relationship with him is if a mediator comes in between us and satisfies all that he, 